excited to have Tim with us. Please welcome him. And, uh, Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be here again. It's always good to be able to come home and be able to see some new faces, which is always a good thing in a, in a church. We want to see new faces, but to see not old faces, familiar faces, um, um, mature faces, you know, and I speak uh, not just of you, but you can see uh, God has given me a head of wisdom, and uh, I'm losing some of that, but it is so good to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I apologize that it has taken us several months to get to our home church. We've been back since July, and we have, this is our first time back here, uh, so uh, don't take it personal, but realize, though, that I have gotten a chance to be here before I've gotten a chance to see one of my children yet. I still haven't seen Nathan since we've been back. He's been in Texas, and we just got word this week that he's going to be able to get some time off, and we're flying him up, so we will be together at Christmas time together as a family for the first time in almost two years, so very excited about that. Holidays are wonderful, um, and I'm, I'm very excited about um, just being able to share with you today a little bit of what God has been teaching me. As always, I, I don't know what to preach on except what God has, has been pounding in my head, and, uh, and so that's what you get. I hope it's, a, it's a, um, applicable for you today, um, but I know God has certainly been impressing upon me the significance and the importance of the gospel. Now, we, we, we understand the gospel. We hear it. We, we've heard it. If you've been a part of church, if you've been a part of uh, Christian circles for a long time, you hear about the gospel and you hear the gospel message again and again. And, and that's a good thing. And yet there are times when it can become maybe a little too familiar. And we don't always necessarily appreciate what the gospel really means. And uh, uh, I, that, that's what I'm excited to, to share with you, how God has been impressing upon uh, my heart the, the significance and the, the power of the gospel. Before I get to that, though, I want to kind of take you for a, a little walk with me as, a, as I uh, explain my journey and a little bit more of how God has been teaching me this. As many of you know, we have been uh, missionaries for the last 11 years, and for nine of those years, we were at Rift Valley Academy in Kenya, uh, which is a boarding school for missionary children. And so we were teachers and administrators and um, dorm parents, and you know, we, we held several different roles while we were there and loved it, absolutely loved our time there. We loved the people that we worked with. We loved the kids that we were having impact on. Um, and all of the, 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 the aspects of that ministry. But God began to stir our hearts. And I don't know how to convey that to you, other than just to explain how I think it happened. When, with, with RVA, um, there was an emphasis all throughout the mission of being able to, uh, to, to pray for unreached people groups. We, we started to do that uh, as a school, every Sunday morning, we would, uh, we would actually break off into you know, a couple of minutes, two or three people, and pray for a particular unreached people group. Now, if you don't understand the terminology I'm using, an unreached people group is a people group that is less than 2% overall population that knows Jesus Christ or that uh, understands the gospel message. So less than 2% 
is considered an unreached people group. And, and missiologists have determined that somewhere, at, somewhere about that line of 2% of the population becomes followers of Jesus, where the church, that is when the church is able to get established, where we're able to, to reproduce, and they're able to, you know, carry on the work of the gospel indigenously. So what missions are, are trying to do is to, to identify these unreached people groups engage those people groups with the gospel in order to establish a church and get, the, get to that 2% or greater level and to see an indigenous work start. Well, we began to pray uh, and pray for all kinds of different people groups. And I'm convinced that that is what began to stir our hearts. Because you can't just pray for people that don't understand the gospel and feel numb to it. And when I started to, to understand the terminology of unreached, but the one that really got me is an unengaged people group. Not only is it unreached, but there was no effort being made to reach out to a particular group. No one is going learning language. No one is going there engaging the culture. No one going there to involve themselves into, into the life of a particular people group at, with the express purpose of sharing the gospel. And that, you know, I, that stirred my heart. I know it stirred Jill's heart as well. So about two years ago, we started this journey of saying, Lord, you've stirred our hearts once before in order to go to RVA. We feel that stirring again. What do you want us to do? And, and honestly, I got to be, be totally honest with you. I, I really felt like that was what God was going to do was, was going to take us to a particular people group. And although I can't say I was really excited about learning a language or anything like that, uh, I just said, Lord, I'm available. I want to be used. So we started on this journey saying, okay, uh, Lord, what do you have? And we began to talk to people and uh, to make a, I don't know if this is already a long story or not, but to, to kind of shorten it a little bit, um, God actually called us to uh, administrative roles within the uh, southern region office of, of Africa Inland Mission in order to work with our, our workers in the southern part of Africa. So we work in uh, Madagascar. We work in the islands just off the coast of Madagascar. We work in Mayotte. We work in uh, Mozambique, um, Namibia, and Lesotho are the um, countries that we actually have active workers there. And part of our roles is member care. You know, we, we pray for people. We, we care for them as they uh, express needs. We, we go visit them. So we've been to uh, almost all of those places over the last uh, year or so. We help with strategic planning um, and, and really uh, leadership development was a big part of my role as well. And, and we really felt like, okay, God has, uh, has called us to these roles and you're familiar, uh, I think, with our, our saga of trying to, to move to South Africa and uh, to, to be a part of the office in Johannesburg. And our visas were denied three different times. And, and we said, Lord, what are you doing? So finally, you know, we, we figured, let's just go back to where we were uh, in Nairobi, not to our roles. You know, we're, we're going to establish an, an office in Nairobi. And that's what we did last June. And for, uh, for the last year and a half, we have been working out of Nairobi and we can see the hand of the Lord in that. You know, we thought that this was some strange path that got, you know, that, that somehow we were not able to get to where we were supposed to be. And yet God 
showed us again and again that that was exactly where he wanted us for that particular time period. We saw probably three-quarters of everybody that works in the southern part of our, the, our workers come through Nairobi in the year. And we were able to, to have people in our home for a couple of weeks at a time, uh, people that, were, that needed support, they either needed counseling or they needed uh, you know, medical work or things like that. We were able to, to be able to care for them. We were able to, to hear stories, and it's exciting to be a part of that. And so that, that's what we've been doing. And it's that, that unreached and unengaged aspect of the ministry that really has gripped our hearts. So when I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about, you know, the, the, the message of the gospel, and I come across 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in my reading. And you've heard the, the passage read today. It says in verse 14, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for Christ's love compels us. And that's really where I want to start today. That the, the, the message of the gospel is really a compelling love story. It's a, it's a love story that really doesn't make any logical sense in our world as we understand it. I mean, if you stop and think about what our world does to its enemies, and you just think about the last month or so, you know, our world treats its enemies by sending bombs to them in the mail. Our world treats those that they hate by going into a place of worship and starting to shoot people. That's, that's what our world does for the people that they don't like, for the people that they're enemies. But we have a, a, a different story. In Romans chapter 5, listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of Jesus, Christ died for us. It's an incredible statement. Paul's the one who wrote that. Think about Paul's story. Paul was an enemy of Jesus Christ, and what did he do? He hunted down followers of Jesus, not just in Jerusalem, but on the way to Damascus. And, you know, he was on his way, breathing fire down the church, ready to destroy those that were followers of Jesus, but God got a hold of him. It would have been easy for God to just say, well, let me just take care of him. But God said, I've got, uh, I've got a job for him, which we will come back to in just a few minutes. But it's interesting that this is, this is the story. I mean, that, that's some of the background to the story of the gospel. And when you read through Scripture, starting in Genesis... We get the, uh, the, the privilege of, of, of seeing God at work in six days of creation. And we get a chance to see how God begins to create an environment. You know, day and night and sun and stars and plants and trees and animals. And all of it was leading up to the crescendo of, like, all right, this is my treasured creation. Scripture calls us... We are the apple of God's eye. We are his treasured possession. And we get to that story and we see how God doesn't hate us for our sin. God loves us. And in Genesis, this is even before sin. He's like, I have created this wonderful environment. 
for my people. For those that I have created in my image that I am going to love and show them how much I love them. That's the original part of the, of the gospel story. But then chapter 3 comes along. Chapter 3 is where we are deceived. We sin and we disobey God and given a choice where we could say, all right, God, is what you say true? Or is the deceit, the lie that we've been told, is that true? Guess what we bought into? We all know it. We bought into the lie. And honestly, that should have ended the story, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that have been the end of the whole story? We should have chapter 3 of Genesis, and then the Bible's done. Because that's what we deserve. We should say God was creating this wonderful environment, and he created his treasured possession, and I have expressed my love to you, and I'm walking with you day after day. And he gives us a choice. Now, you can choose to love me or not. Are you going to obey me or not? And we said no, and God should have said, okay, You get what you deserve. Is that what he did? See, the message of the gospel really begins at that point. That's where we get to see God's true love and God's heart at work. When he says, okay, you have sinned. Now I have a plan of salvation for you. See, the result of that sin is that we, God's character demands punishment, demands payment for our sin. And it's the shedding of blood. An animal was killed for skins to cover their nakedness. And all through the Old Testament, we read about sacrifices of blood being shed to cover over sin. But all of it is a picture of what God says, I've got an answer and a solution to this. And this is really the good news of the gospel. Instead of requiring that everyone, and requiring death and payment of everyone of themselves, God sent Jesus To be our substitutionary sacrifice. And all through this passage in 2 Corinthians. That message is threaded through it. In verse 14 it says one died for all. In verse 21 it says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. The message of the gospel is that. All right, you made a mistake. And that was a big mistake. And that's going to bring death but it's not going to bring yours. Sure, we have physical death, but it says, I'm sending Jesus. I've got this covered. Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. Not only that, not only did Jesus die in our place, but God raised him from the dead. And the significance of that is really twofold. Number one, If God said, all right, I'm going to send Jesus, and Jesus is going to die. What happens if Jesus is not raised? It's an indication that God's saying, okay, that death wasn't acceptable. That death wasn't adequate. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's an indication that God is saying, all right, Jesus died. I'm okay with that. That is enough. The death of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God so that we do not have to experience it. All that Christ experienced on the cross was all the wrath of God from before and all the way after to take care of our sin. And then God says, I'm pleased and I will raise him up. That's significance number one of the 
of the resurrection of Jesus. But number two, just as Jesus was raised from physical death, so we will be raised from physical death to eternal life. The fact that God accepted Jesus and raised him from the dead, and all of the power that went into that is something that will be expressed to us too. We will experience eternal life because of what Jesus did. That's the message of the gospel. And it's a compelling love story. And it's so, it contrasts so much with the world that we view. And yet sometimes we just gloss right over it. We have experienced, we are experiencing that love story each and every day that we live. But it doesn't end there. See, the second part of this is that the gospel transforms us into becoming the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel, the power of the gospel, the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in each of us, transforming us into the righteousness of God. Now, you want to talk about a miracle. Look at the, the, some of the, the things that are, that are expressed here. Often, we just gloss over this. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you understand how difficult it is to change someone? I mean, essentially, that's what AIM is after when we're going to an unreached people group. We are going there with people who have no idea who Jesus is. They have never heard the gospel message before. They are living life as if, just the way they know it, and they think things are fine. And yet we bring them a transforming message that will change the way they think and the way they live. No longer will they live for themselves, but they will live for God. Honestly, that's an arrogant idea to be able to to think that you can go to a group and say, hey, I've got something different. What you've been doing is, is not right. Let me tell you what the truth is. That's arrogant. Unless it's really true. Unless there's really truth and power behind that message. And you stop and think about all of the people that we read about in Scripture. And we, and we can see example after example after example of that power on display in people's lives. For example, I've already said Paul. You, we've, we've talked about Paul. Paul talks about himself in Scripture. I was uh, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I was the upper echelon of what a... Jew aspires to. I breathed fire into the church of God. And God transformed him almost in an instant. He met Jesus on a road and it changed his life forever. Think, uh, do you remember the, the, the Samaritan woman? If you know the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman... If you're familiar with that story, you know um, that, that, that she was, uh, for lack of a better term, let's call it for what it is, immoral. In fact, she's coming in the middle of the day to gather water when no one else is there. 
And scholars believe that, you know, she's coming at that point of the day because she doesn't want to deal with her community. All right? There's shame. I, I, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to have to interact with my community. And she meets Jesus at that well. And if you read that story, after that interaction, what does she do? She goes right back to her community and says, let me tell you about a man I just met. And the whole community comes to Jesus. See, you meet meet Jesus and all of a sudden, things begin to change. That's the transformative power of the gospel. And after, you know, at the end of that story, it says, that community really, you know, we understand who you are. Not because this woman told us, but because we see it for ourselves. But that woman who... You know, earlier in the day had made a decision, I want to avoid people, goes back. She does the very thing she was trying to avoid because she met Jesus. Jesus healed a paralyzed man. Remember all the the friends were, you know, put him through the roof and, you know, he's paralyzed on a mat and all the people are wondering what Jesus is going to do. And, And Jesus says, I forgive your sins, which is an odd thing. Now everybody's saying, wait a minute, who can forgive sins but God? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, which is easier? Is it easier for me to forgive sins or to tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk? But so that you will know that I can forgive sins, he tells the paralyzed man to get up and walk, and he does. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the resurrection at work. We could go on and on. The man living among the tombs. The community had given up on him. They tried to put him in chains and he broke out. And now this man, if we want to talk and sing about no longer slaves to sin. Here's a man who had to make his dwelling place alone among the tombs, harming himself. And then he meets Jesus. And what happens? The community finds him sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, clothed. And it says that Jesus said, uh, he, wanted to be, he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to walk around with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back and tell your community about what I've done. Just tell them what I've done for you. And if you follow the thread of Scripture, you'll find that, that he was in the Decapolis. And a little bit later on, you'll find that there are pockets of people that understand who Jesus is and are followers of Jesus. And it doesn't say it expressly, but I believe this man was effective in sharing what Jesus had done. That's the transformative power of the gospel. It's a compelling love story, but it transforms us. It's not just a story. Well, how does it do that? How does the gospel transform who we are? Well, I've already mentioned one, you know, just praying. To be able to speak to the sovereign God of the universe and to express your worship and your praise, to express your cares and anxieties, to be able to pray for others. There's an open dialogue there, I guess, not so much verbally, but God then begins to speak to your heart, and he begins to turn your heart. 
into the righteousness of God. The daily abiding in God's truth, where you are in God's word extravagantly, where you're listening and seeing these stories and imagining them in your mind and then saying, all right, I don't want to just be merely a listener, but I want to be a doer of God's word. And then I'm not saying it's easy, but there are times when we have to say, all right, Lord, I feel like you've You're leading me to do something. It makes me uncomfortable. And we do it. And all of a sudden, God begins to show us and to demonstrate that power that he has. And that he has given to us. And our faith begins to grow. We begin to grow spiritual muscles. The fellowship of uh, of a community of believers. A church like this where you can, can, can have truth shared with you where you can talk life and do life with people that are in all of this together, where you can learn and glean from them, where you can serve them, and then you can be served by them. It's another way that we are transformed by the power of the gospel. Along with that comes accountability. Each of us should have people in our lives that we know we can go to who will tell us the truth. If all we have are Yes, men or women in our lives. What good is that? We need people in our lives that are going to say, you know what? You're heading down a path that's not good. We need people that are going to be encouragers for us. We need people sometimes that are going to give us a good swift kick in the backside. All of this is a part of how God has, to, has determined or, or given us a way for transforming our lives. The gospel is powerful, and it transforms us. And what's interesting about that is that when we understand the love story that God has proclaimed in his word, and when we have experienced that story, and we experience the transforming power of the gospel, we have something to share. We have a message that we could share with other people. And that's the third point in this. God has given us the privilege and the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. It says that we are ambassadors of Christ. I never really understood an ambassador till I went out of the U.S. into another country. An ambassador is a representative, an authoritative representative of someone else. The ambassador to Kenya from the United States does not speak his own message. He speaks the message of the United States. We got a chance to see that firsthand on many different occasions in many different contexts. And that's what God says he wants of us. He said, I sent Jesus as my original ambassador Jesus said in his teaching, I don't speak my own words. I speak the words that the Father has given me as he's an ambassador. His role was to speak and to teach, but his main role was to die in our stead. But then after he rose again, he's commissioned his apostles. He commissioned his disciples. And if you read his word, it is so clear that he has commissioned us to be his ambassadors. 
Now, as ambassadors, you know, let me, let me say it this way. As, as I've thought about this, especially over the last several months, I'm beginning to understand what it really means to do something in the name of Jesus. Now, you used to think, well, that's, that's how we end our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, you know. Well, what does that really mean? Well, you know, that's a good way to end prayers. I'm, that's kind of our way of asking, you know, that's, Lord, if I pray in your name, then I know there's a little more power behind it. Well, that's true, but it goes a whole lot further than just that's how we're supposed to end our prayers. As ambassadors, everything that we do is done in the name of of Jesus. What did Jesus command us to do? Go and make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son. We baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The entire work of the Lord, the kingdom work that he has called us to do, is all about doing it in the name of the Lord. And scripture is clear. When we are at work doing kingdom work, That name has power. The same power that is at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power that is at work in our lives transforming us into the righteousness of God. Is at work in the the representation as we share the message. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. Which means that we go. Ambassadors to other countries don't stay home. They go. A lot of times we think our role is, well, when people come to church, we'll minister to them. That's not going. You have a sphere of influence no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how old you are. Whether you're in school or you're at work, or you're in the community, or you're working out at the gym, or you're buying groceries at the grocery store, there is a sphere of influence around you that you have at your disposal. This is where God wants you to work. And you know what? We have a story to tell. We have a love story, a compelling love story that we can share with people. And we have our own story that we can share with people. Now, I get it. A lot of times when we are, you know, you stop and think about sharing the gospel with people, we're going to be a witness. That makes us nervous. That makes us awkward sometimes. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm not quite sure if I know what to say. I think I've said this here before. Well, then practice. Are you able to, to take a, uh, you know, two to three minutes and present the gospel message in a, a short form like that? If you can't do it, well, what's stopping you from learning how? Probably just your own, in my case, laziness. You have a testimony to share. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church or if you were saved from some grand grand sin. It's still a testimony. What is God teaching you in life? What is God doing in your life? 
People can't argue that. Hey, God has been doing this in my life. No, he hasn't. Yes, he has. We have have things to share with people. and, And this passage is saying, I have loved you. And I'm in the process of transforming you. And I want to use you as my ambassador. Go. Go and share it. Don't be nervous. There's power behind you. Don't worry about what to say. I've given you a story to say. Well, I'm not adequate. Um, people don't know. Maybe, maybe people do know what I was. Well, isn't that the power of the gospel? The power of the transformative aspect at work in our lives. See, God gives us a love to share. That gives us several things. With this, I'll close. God gives us a hope for the future. That's the power of the resurrection. We know where we're going. So we don't have to worry about things in this world. He gives us a hope for the future. He gives us a peace for the present. That peace is really freedom. What we've talked about earlier today. Freedom from guilt. Well, I was a terrible person. But Christ's sacrifice was adequate. God does not look at you and say, "Mm, I remember. In fact, Scripture is very clear. It says, I forget. I put it as far as the east is from the west. Freedom from fear. We have freedom. We don't have to fear anything. God says, what's the worst that could happen? Death in this world means eternal um, communion with God. What's to fear? Well, I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of the... I'm going to give you freedom from that. You're not going to be rejected. That's all here. Not only does he give us a hope for the future and a peace for the present, but he gives us a forgiveness and a forgetfulness of the past. Like I was saying, God doesn't look at us and say, oh, I remember this. We remember this. God says, I want you to forget it. I'm not out to get you. Look at all of Scripture. What has God done for us? He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Then Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that is going to be with you. And the two of us are going to be your advocates. Not your accuser. So when we do something wrong again, we don't have to tuck our tail between our legs and be ashamed and be fearful. God says, I've forgiven this. Come, seek my forgiveness, and we move forward. We have an, an advocate. We have a Savior that has experienced what we experience. He understands what we feel. He understands the emotion. He understands living in this world. And he doesn't condemn us. That's all a part of our story. So we have a hope for the future. We have a peace for the present. And we have forgiveness and forgetfulness of the past that leads to freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, but it gives us a freedom to serve. We have freedom to send truth. We have freedom 
to share a message. We have freedom that we don't have to worry about what is going to be in the future. That's the power of the gospel. Now, I know that that is nothing new, but we need to be reminded of it and the power of it. And I hope that it, that um, encourages us to be more proactive in how we express our faith. So let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word. And any time that we spend time in it, we cannot come away with it without understanding who you are. You are the sovereign God of the universe who doesn't condemn us, but has sent Jesus. You love us so much as, our, as your treasured possession. You've been so patient, so kind, so loving to us. And we are grateful. And as we've looked at your word today, I pray that we would embrace that love story and embrace the transformative action that you, are, that you promised that's going to happen in our lives and is happening in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful ambassadors as we follow after you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.